Welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am a member of Gestalt IT, and each episode we bring you the perspectives and viewpoints of a group of luminaries in the IT space. Today's episode is brought to you by Keeper Security, but first I'd like to take a moment for our friends to introduce themselves before we get to the premise of today's episode, starting with Evan. Thank you, Tom. Uh, my name is Evan Mincer. I'm an information security manager located in the Philadelphia region. I can be found on Twitter at Evan Mincer. Thank you, Evan. Gerard? Hey, what's going on, everyone? My name is Gerard Cavallinas. I'm the founder of Tech House 570, and you can find me at G Cavallinas on Twitter, Gerard Cavallinas on LinkedIn, and at Tech House 570. Thank you. And our special guest today, Zane. Hey, uh, Zane Bonger. I'm with uh, Keeper Security. And I'm happy to be here chatting on uh, all kinds of fun topics. Hopefully it'll be a fun conversation. All right. Well, thank you all very much for joining us. Let's jump into today's premise. Uh, as mentioned, this episode is brought to you by Keeper Security. And one of the things that we've heard a lot about over several years in security is the importance of VPNs. Um, you know, starting back in the old days, it was a way to create network tunnels through the, the common internet to provide a secure transport layer. Um, but it required a lot of heavy lifting. We had to have, uh, you know, big, thick clients on our laptops that did IPsec tunneling. And if anybody's ever tried to set up the phase two negotiation for Ike, you know what a pain in the neck that can be. Um, but we've modified that. We have SSL VPNs now. We have a lot of other things. And quite honestly, I can't really even remember the last time that I fired up my VPN client outside of a hacker conference where I was trying to keep my stuff secure because a lot of applications have started using things like TLS transmission in order to make sure that all of their data is encrypted in flight, which leads me to the premise for today's episode that, well, VPNs aren't really required anymore. Um, I want to jump in with uh, by asking Evan this question, because Evan, I know that you've had a lot of experience in some pretty secure environments. Um, are you seeing a lot of the security that we used to kind of have to bolt on after the fact being integrated into the applications and the devices that are being used on these, you know, say like a healthcare network? It's starting to. So we, we're, I'm seeing a lot more cloud usage. And to your point, when you're using cloud, there is no need for a VPN because it might be, you know, in a Microsoft or, or GCP environment. Um, so why would you be on VPN for those? Because really, you're going to be hairpinning back to the back to the organization. Um, the only thing that that I would disagree with on the VPN point is any company that has stuff that's on premises, then you have to get back there. And I'm also seeing there's the old Windows management. Um, if companies are still using GPOs, then you can't update remote computers unless they're on VPN. Yeah, it's that kind of problem you run into where it has to be in my network for the GPO to. Um, be applied to it because it turns out that as great as Microsoft is when it comes to doing policy work, the networking side of it probably needs a little bit of, of um, improvement, I guess would be a good way to put it. Gerard, are you seeing something similar? Are you seeing customers that are going primarily to the cloud saying, well, you know, everything's secure now, so we don't need to worry about VPNs? Well, you know, believe it or not, and it's very interesting because we work with so many clients when I was in healthcare I, I you know we they just were completely still focused on the VPN aspect right because as when Evan said you still have so many you know different shares and different aspects that you still need to kind of connect back to that internal network as far as cloud-based you know there's been some rumblings we're looking into some different stuff but I haven't personally seen a lot of it you know uh, I know a lot of people are still trying to focus a lot more on 
just kind of the old windows management and some people are still focused on you know if it's not broken don't fix it but i know there's there's so many better ways to be able to connect wirelessly and and go through the vpn and have a safer connection yeah now zane you're kind of on the other side of this because as part of keeper security you've um you've worked with cl clients that maybe have come to you asking for vpn like features are you seeing clients that are saying, you know, maybe we don't need this or, or worse yet, are you seeing clients who thought that they didn't need it and then something happened and it turns out they really do? Uh, it, it really varies, right? I, I think it ties largely into um, the customer and your needs. Like a VPN is kind of a, a tool that is an intermediary tool that allows you to do something. But if you if you strip it away, like at the end of the day, it's... I, as a person, need to assert that I am me and I need to get to this target. And so if there's a different way to handle or do that assertion that does not involve booting up this client, logging on to it, figuring out what you did with your token, figuring out what the password was, if it's been changed. But if you can securely assert who you are and say what you need to get to, and it's that easy, then that's great. And I'm, there's more and more solutions coming about there that, that are actually enabling that. It's interesting. Um, you know, I've, I, for one, have been talking to a lot of companies recently um, that have said, you know, we, we don't need this anymore because we've created secure site-to-site -site VPNs with things like SD-WAN or, or even SASE, and it's, it's all built in. And, and so I, I cringe when I hear that a little bit because I, I kind of think about some of the things that I've heard, you know, the, the other uh, things in IT that maybe have not proven true, you know, like 640K conventional memory is enough or a firewall is good enough for, you know, perimeter security, or, you know, no one can crack DES. How impossible is that? And if you are laughing at any of the statements, you know, the time basically invalidates all rules and security. And so even though we have very secure clients and very secure applications, I still think that this, you know, this idea, there's an additional layer of security that we can put on it. But one of the problems we run into is, is it's very clunky to do that. As I mentioned before, like I can still remember installing some very uh, big VPN clients on my laptop and watching the list of networking adapters on my Windows system like triple because they all have to be these sockets that they have to integrate with. And if I accidentally click on the VPN connection, it destroys everything else. We've evolved past that, right? Please tell me we have. Some companies have, uh, definitely. Um, others haven't, right? And it's really, um, it's about how difficult it is to set up, how difficult it is to get to an alternative. And then sometimes you have, you know, companies with these draconian security policies where it's like, you know, this has to be monitored and controlled at this level. And if the alternative can't provide comparable controls, then it becomes a non-starter. So it's really about making sure that you can provide convenience in accessing the resources you need with appropriate administrative control so that you know the company can protect their assets. And then of course, in an appropriate audit trail in case something goes wrong, you gotta figure out you know, what actually happened. Yeah, I, the audit trail thing is, is critical because one of the things that we're starting to see, um, there have been stories of people who have been permitting VPN access into the system that maybe they shouldn't. I know that one of the recent uh, stories as of the time of this recording that we've been hearing about is a new uh, ransomware game called Lapsus that is allowing people to use a VPN connection to get into the internal file systems and take data out and being able to have an audit trail that will tell you, oh yeah, hey, look, that connected at 3.35 in the morning and it really shouldn't have is is kind of a, an important factor. But kind of speaking to that and maybe you know Gerard and Evan, you guys can weigh in here because you've been on that side. What about 
client policy documents that state unequivocally, you must use a VPN in order to access the system. Like, is that like, are we cutting our uh, cutting off our nose to spite our own face, because we're enforcing it and it, people hate it, and they're trying to find ways around it? Yeah, I, I think part of the problem there is you probably have a lot of companies that are thinking old school where, okay, the VPN is a secure connection. If you're not in the office, you have to be on VPN because that's the only way to secure it. Um, I disagree with that. It really depends on the transport. To me, a VPN just allows for that encrypted transport. But, you know, I use Office 365 for email. My Outlook connection is encrypted as well. So if, if all I'm doing is Office 365, I already have that kind of, without a VPN client, a virtual private connection that is secured to Office 365. Yeah, it's, it, it's a matter of perspective, right? And I mean, it's 2022. You know, the technology is changing. Yes, what once worked now is, is not. It's, it's just a matter of, as Evan said, we want to be sure that to connect from point A to point B, that can be done in a multitude of ways, you know, especially with these newer cloud solutions. But it's just a matter of trying to, to get so people understand, hey, you know, while this may work, here's it's weighing the pros and cons and kind of showing them the value and the benefit in it. And, and as far as how it is you're connecting. A lot of, like I said, Office 365, same. You know, I don't really, you know, I use it. It's already pre-encrypted. We don't have to worry about that. We also use, you know, a lot of different suites that, that allow for that. So it's a matter of just kind of getting them to, to really truthfully understand, you know, what the value of the VPN is or is it and how it fits into the, your environment if, if it's needed at all. So yeah. it sounds like a lot of the, the VPN functionality that we've dealt with in the past is kind of being integrated into applications. I mean, Zane, is that what you're seeing or do we still have a need for a system level encryption? It's the... There, there's a couple aspects to that. First off, VPNs typically grant too much access, right? You, 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 you've got this concept of this, you know, your, your business is this um, old medieval castle. It's got the walls, it's got the moat. And then once you're inside this um, moat, you can access all the villagers and all everything. And that's actually not necessary, especially when you think about maybe some of your third-party vendors or, you know, like some Oracle contractor has to come in because he has to fix an Oracle system. Like, how does he get in to get just to that server? You can VPN access. He can do all kinds of stuff. And so one of the problems with the VPN, even though um, certain company policies may require it, it gives you too much access. Why not give the person access to just the one device you you need to go to the oracle server great you know this is all you get you don't get anything else and then we think about the people it needs to be easy you don't want to install clients you don't have to provision a whole bunch of stuff and have installations and operating system requirements so the easiest is go to this website type in a url and then at the end of the day you're at your target like that's the simplest use case and then if it's audited and monitored and tracked, that's an extra Mario bonus. I would tend to agree with you. And I do totally admit that the idea of a VPN client connecting your laptop to a network is the old school getting past the moat and the drawbridge kind of thing without any kind of um, protection mechanism for the internal network. And as we've seen over the, late, the last few years, having an unprotected internal network is a playground for threat actors um, for internal users that are have nefarious purposes and quite honestly for things like ransomware and malware it can hop and do lateral uh, movement privilege escalation 
all those kinds of things. But as we've said before, it's hard enough to get the client authentication um, dealt with. How can you prevent people inside the network from accessing things they're not supposed to unless you're having everybody tunnel through some kind of a web portal? I mean, I, I did VPNs back in the day, so obviously my perspective on it is a little skewed. Uh, maybe Evan and Gerard can kind of weigh in here, but the idea of trying to limit what people can access through their VPN client, like I get a headache just thinking about all the policies that I'm going to have to create on a per user basis. Yeah, v VPNs, the, the, the way most companies do it, it, it is that all or nothing type connection. Um, usually with a VPN client, it's the same access that they're going to have in the office. And it's really just an, ex it's designed to be an extension of the office. Um, but yeah, giving that to a non, it, it's bad enough that I have to worry about the laptops that, you know, my company owns, giving it to it, like say, oh, we just need to have a consultant come in and with their laptop, I'm like, I am scared of what is on that consultant's laptop that the consultant may not even know about. That is, you give them a full VPN connection and, and Zane, you're absolutely right. What is coming in my network? I, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times that terrifies me and how many times I've been adamant against it because when it's your fleet, it's fine. It's one thing, <clears throat> but excuse me, but every environment that I've worked in, and most recently, again, you know, a few years ago, I was working in healthcare and that's what it was. It's all or nothing. But when someone would come in, you know, be a resident, doctor, whoever, and it's like, hey, I got this laptop or, hey, I'm a, a third-party contractor. I need access to your VPN. We, we weren't provisioning that. We weren't implementing or setting those policies. Okay, well, you can have access to this share and this share. It was just, okay, here's your VPN. Here's your credentials. Mimic the network. Good luck. And that's because you, you're pretty much opening the doors to what kinds of threats. I mean, all kinds of potential issues, especially for a device we can't manage. So now, you know, you've up the ante and it becomes a headache and even more of a burden and a nightmare, in my opinion. Yeah, I think from a management perspective, right, it's having to have your VPN team control and set up every one of these access vectors and networking routes and, um, you know, pivoting stuff off and creating subnets and VLANs and all that. It's just, it's way too much overhead, right? If, if you have a strong assertion of identity like this is evan then you can say cool i i know who evan is and evan's on you know this device and i trust that device then you can say well evan should be able to get to these things and the teams can effectively self-manage and self-allocate like the you know the database team will decide if somebody needs access to that database server um and that way you're not constantly going to it and saying hey can you you know adjust the VLAN or, hey, can you add this user to this group or do anything? It's really about allowing um, specific access based on a strong, strong assertion of identity, getting to the targets, and getting just what you need. And then if it is a low trust employee, maybe like an intern or something, or maybe it's a contractor, maybe you still want to monitor and record the session or like understand what's going on um, in there. Um, because you know if something goes wrong, log files are really, really difficult forensically to understand, you know, what happened either intentionally, unintentionally, maliciously, or, or otherwise. I, I add on to that, Zane, when you say, you know, you're going to trust Evan, I, I scared for you on that one. But, you know, what if that admin decides to go rogue? You know, part of me worries that, you know, we give admins need a certain level of authority to do their work. And, and a lot of time that is very elevated. What if they lose access, you know, a, a hacker gets their, their credentials, 
or worse, they go rogue and now they have access. You're, you're granting them access. Being able to monitor what they're doing would be a great thing. So yeah. in a way, it almost sounds like what you're suggesting is a zero trust architecture, which is something that has been a very hot topic as of late, is that we don't trust anybody, even if they have a VPN client, until you've, like you said, asserted that we know your identity, we know what you're trying to accomplish. And even if you do get in, here are the things that you're allowed to access and know more unless we have policy that allows you to do that. And the nice thing about policy is, is that you can define that and that is something that can be registered and audited and um you know revoked if necessary is that kind of what you're saying yeah 100 right um zero trust is it's it's an evolution of something that's existed in the security industry you know secure uh, principle of least privilege um it's, it's got a new moniker but that's exactly it right it's don't let somebody inside the moat and run around you know just only give them access what they need if somebody needs to access access a server a piece of infrastructure a database whatever that is that's great you need it to do, do your job but it's interesting to ask the question how long do you need it for you know, like, do you need this indefinitely or are you just doing something for this week because it's really easy to grant the access and forget about it or you know grant too much access like do you just need to read some data do you need to modify stuff there's there's so many additional questions and if you constantly have to go back to your IT team to do the mother may I, you know, can you adjust this? They're just, it's too much overhead, too much administration. And they're like, whatever, here, just get the whole thing. And hopefully we will, we won't have to hear from you for question number 45. Whereas if atomic teams can control access and revoke the access, like, hey, the database team can access the database stuff. We bring in the one guy when he's done, we revoke his access. Um, those type of things really give the individual teams the flexibility they need to do their job and then at no point does any one person have access to everything there's no super admin with the keys to the kingdom people just manage their individual fiefdoms and or their areas of expertise now i know that we've talked about this before and you know evan and gerard can weigh in here but i love this idea of creating specific time-based accounts and having them automatically expire because yes the you know anyone who watched war games in the 80s knows that a backdoor password is the worst thing in the world it could start a global thermonuclear war um, but i also know that trying to audit these systems and keep track of these things is practically impossible um, is there a solution now that allows people to do that that says you know hey you've got these credentials that were created on this date with these usernames and they probably need to expire or when i create the credential i'm going to set an expiration date um, because i know from my previous experience those kinds of things really didn't exist um yeah so technology has evolved um, within keeper we've got a couple of different solutions that could provide access depending on what your needs are like if it's, you know, um, development systems needing access to credentials and, you know, you only want them to be available to access for, you know, one, two, three, five minutes, 30 days, whatever it is, you can, you know, provision access to those credentials and they'll expire. If it's sharing something externally with, you know, a contractor or something, you, you can audit, review, revoke. And then um, really the, the management of this, um, at least from the administration perspective, has really come a long way to the point where you can know exactly who has access to what device, who has access to what credential, 
Um, was it accessed? Was it viewed? Was it opened? Um, if somebody comes into one of your servers and actually, you know, does some work legitimately, if you wanted to, you can go back and just view a recording of the session and, you know, search the transcripts. Like, did they run a pseudo command? Did they run a restart command? You know, like, you can really understand exactly what has happened. And if there are any events that occur that are suspicious, um, those are really a great candidate for like some type of an alert. Um, you know, it, it's rare that you run into an atomic event, which is, you know, Gerard downloaded malware, it's definitely bad, let's quarantine him and throw him off the network. It's more along the lines of Gerard accessed the SQL server at three in the morning, and I don't know if that's inherently malicious or not. But if something occurred, maybe I want to get an alert and get notified about it. And, you know, you put it in a Teams or Slack channel, whatever it is, right? Whatever avenue makes sense for you to hear it. And then at that point, you'd be like, yeah, Gerard, we had a system down last night. If he wasn't in the database, it'd be beaten him with a stick because it needed to get rebooted. Versus understanding the context of, well, we didn't have any events. Why did that occur? And then you can just kind of peel back and understand what else happened, what else occurred at that time. Yeah, I and mean, those are the kinds of things that require um, more horsepower in the system than we're used to if we're thinking all the way back to the old days of IPsec VPNs. You know, Gerard, Evan, if you had that kind of a platform, you know, would that make things easier for you? Would it allow you to kind of enable a lot of security controls that you wish you had now? Yeah, definitely. Um, Absolutely. I, yeah, I think one of the big things for me is administrators tend to need a lot more rights than they may or may not really need. Um, you know, they want global admins, domain admins, all that. Um, sometimes you have to allow that, but being able to trust but verify would be a huge thing. Yeah, it gives you that sense too, because I can't, you know, how many times, okay, we'll set a, a you know, a contractor's AD credentials, and then, yeah, sometimes human error kicks in, right? And you set it, set expiration date, and that's it. But I feel with a solution like that, it could be a lot more granular. It gives you the flexibility and then some to really not just audit in real time. It gives you that opportunity to see, okay, well, what's going on in, in my environments to police that a lot better and implement a lot of those policies and procedures and alleviate a good majority or a high percentage of the, of the workload off of you, you know, because you're letting, you're letting the tool and the solution do that work as opposed to, again, trying to bring it back to, you know, manual human error. You know, you're always going to miss something, but something like this can definitely police that. Well, I think it sounds like the answer to the problem is that the traditional VPN, in fact, is not needed anymore because a lot of the functionality that we used to rely on it for has been built into applications and other things. But the need for the security is still there. And as VPNs continue to evolve into different kinds of access architectures using things like principles of least privilege and zero trust, we in fact do need them. We need that next generation of you know private networking uh, constructs that allow us to audit and uh, ensure that we're staying safe. You know, as it were, if you want to use the medieval idea of a moat and a castle, this is creating a maze inside the castle uh, walls where the tr the attackers that are trying to get in get lost, but the people who know the shortcut through the maze can get where they need to go. And I think that that honestly is a great way to kind of build on where we are now versus from where we have been in the past. Um, now, Zane, I know that Keeper Security has some solutions in this area that people definitely would want to check out if this is something that's interesting to them. Where the, can they go to learn more about it? 
Sure, yeah, absolutely. So keepersecurity.com, um, three products that are immediately relevant is our enterprise password manager. If you need to you know, broker and share secure um, credentials, our secrets manager solves the machine use cases of machine credential access, and then our keeper connection manager handles um, the connections to targets and recording and brokering those um, sessions. Great. So if you want to learn more about that, go ahead and check out the website. And you can also check out the latest episode of our podcast uh, when we release it at gestaltit.com slash podcast. Uh, we have previous episodes there along with show notes if you want to check out uh, links and things from those episodes. Uh, we should be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode uh, talking about another interesting premise in IT. If you have a premise that you would like to um, see on the show, you can totally tweet at us. We're at OnPremiseIT on Twitter. And yes, we did use premise correctly. And uh, if we have a, if we see an interesting topic, we might suggest it to a group of uh, IT luminaries to have a conversation about. But until we see you again, thank you very much for tuning in. We sincerely appreciate you listening. Um, if you are following us on a podcast application that allows for ratings and uh, reviews, please leave one of those because a lot of people do read those to find out if the content on the uh, episode list is something that they want to take advantage of. So we would, uh, we'd love to see what you have to say about it. We will see you at the next episode. Take care and have a good day.